Matthew chapter 4. That's where we'll be at today. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. I want to remind you, if you've you got little ones or... Um, yeah, there we have a nursery downstairs. Uh, if, you, if it gets distractive, uh, yeah, just take them down there. It's no problem at all. I have, we have little ones, and they absolutely make some noise sometimes, and that's okay because that's what they're supposed to do in that way. Uh, Proverbs says that uh, a, uh, a, barn, a barn with cattle will have manure in it, okay? So children, we have children. That means some noise, and that's okay. That's how it's meant to be in that way, so... Uh, it's a sign of life in that way. So just, I know for others that don't have kids, I know it can be tough, but uh, yeah. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, we're going to finish out today. Uh, we're going to do verses 8 through 11. Matthew 4, uh, starting in verse 8. I'll read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded this morning the grace and the kindness you have given us. Lord, you have spared us in Christ. Lord, if we stand in Christ, you have spared us from the wrath of God. You have spared us from the death that is due to us. Lord, even as we see these words, we see you overcoming the evil one. We see you overcoming the one who has held us captive. And God, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. I pray, Lord, that we would learn what it means even today to overcome temptation. Help us, we pray. We need you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to remind you, uh, there should be some notes in the back. If you don't have those, you can go ahead and grab those. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at the last temptation uh, that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. Uh, if you remember, I'm going to review just real briefly the, last, the, last, the first two. So the first temptation was Jesus being tempted to turn a stone into bread. Okay, if you remember that temptation, it was him, it was Satan tempting him to use his divine prerogative for himself. He basically says, just turn the stone to bread. You're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. Just feed yourself. And what did Jesus do? He overcame by clinging to the Word of God. The Word of God, clinging to the Word of God as he, as he defends himself. And then secondly, last week, we saw Satan bring him to the top of the temple and tempting him to prove that God loves him and to doubt what God's Word has said. By leaping from the, tent, from the building, Jesus would have to show that God really loved him. And we saw that from drinking from the fountain of Christ, we learn to fight with discernment and conviction. Now today I want us to consider the last temptation. And it's the temptation that for you it might feel very... Um, it, it even, even as I was reading it this week, it's like, man, this is, this is a 
challenging temptation, or a temptation that, that maybe even feels very dark. And it is. It should feel that way. And I want us to think, though, we learn something not just about temptation. We learn something not just about Jesus here. But I want us to notice we learn something about the world in this passage. And I want us to think as a Christian, how are we supposed to view the world? Now, I want you to listen to what Satan tempts Jesus with, again, in verse 8. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And then says, I will give you all these, all these I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. And I want us to see first something, I want us to view the world first as good. Because God says in the beginning, in Genesis, in Genesis, God tells us that the world is good. Now, the Bible speaks of the world in different ways, and one way that he speaks of it is good. But there's another way, and I would argue what he's referring to here in verse 8, is not the good world that God created. It's actually the dark world that has fallen into gross, gross, gross idolatry. John, 1 John two fifteen says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this is the kind of world that I think Jesus is referencing or that, that Satan is tempting with him with right here. And as a Christian, I would contend we need to view the world in two ways. So if you're taking notes there, I want you to see that as a Christian, you must see the world as doomed. As a Christian, you must see the world as doomed. And here's why. I want you to notice again in verse 8 what he says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Okay? We need to first see about the world that everyone in the world, apart from Christ, is doomed. And I, I want to I lay this before us because I, I think sometimes we, we put this to the back of our mind in some ways. We need to see that the world, apart from Christ, tries to bring a glory, a, a, a desire or a um, longing for their own glory in that way. And this included, this includes, or has included, us who were once followers of the prince of darkness. Who by nature were under the curse of Adam. Who by nature follow the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I want you to notice, again, what he says there in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, you may wonder, I hope you're wondering, how did, Jesus, or how did Satan do that? What mountain shows us all the kingdoms of the world? Well, I don't think we know. I think what we should say about that is it maybe a vision uh, Satan gave to Jesus in that moment. But I want you to notice that, that piece at the very end of verse 8 that says, and their glory. Because it's that phrase, and their glory, that is very, very, that's the temptation. That's the heart of the temptation here. If you think about the world all around you, I want you to think about when you hear that phrase, and their glory, I want you to think about all the most beautiful, best things you've ever experienced in this world. All the great food, all the great pleasures that you've seen ever. This is what's before Jesus in this moment. 
And we often speak of glory only at, from the glory of God, but I want you to notice that the, the world is doomed because it tries to compete with God and His glory in this way. The kingdom of the world and their glory are not the things that God has made. Rather, they're the things that man has made in his sinfulness. And I would, I would bring it to three things, very simply. Riches, fame, and pleasure. Riches tell us, if I have all, just have all the money I could ever need, then all my problems will go away. Fame tells us, if I act a certain way, then others will like me, and then I'll be significant. And pleasure tells us, if I seek the the pleasures of this world, that is where true happiness is found. And all three, in one instance, are offered to the Lord Jesus. In his weakest moment, in in the temptation of the wilderness, hungry, he's offered food. He's offered riches. He's offered fame. He's offered pleasure. I think sometimes the way we as Christians speak of the world, we speak of it as though there's not really a temptation out there. It's not really, it's not even really, really a temptation at all. It's really just kind of, eh, meh. I want us to see that there really is a temptation happening here. There really is a kind of glory that Satan is offering to, to Jesus here. It's, a, it's an earthly glory. And now notice what he has to give away to get it. Notice what he does in verse 9, what he says. And he said, that's, Satan said to Jesus, all these things I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. The offer is, in this, instant, in this instance, you can have all the glory you see all around you if you, just, if you just worship me. He's asking the Lord of heaven, the, the, the God of creation, and we're seeing the very heart of rebellion right there. In, in Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 14, we see even Satan, what he, what he does, he, he seeks the throne of God. And we see him doing it right here even. I'll give you all these things. I'll give you all the pleasures, all the riches, if you fall down and worship me. And again, we see another bloodless path to glory. Satan gives Jesus another bloodless path to the thing that is his already. Psalm 2. Now I want you to notice, Psalm 2, what Satan is offering Jesus here is something that actually the Father is going to give him later. Okay, so Psalm 2, it'll be up on the screen. Psalm 2, 8 says this. Ask of me, this is referring to the anointed son. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And what Satan is saying is, look, 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 all this is going to be yours someday anyways. I'll give it to you now. I'll give it to you right now in your weakest, hardest moment. The temptation is for Jesus to take now what he knows the Father has offered him. And the temptation is for him to take only what the Father is giving him. And we see the tension right there between verses 8, verses 8 and 9, and then 10. He says, all these I'll give you if you just fall down and worship me. And the question is, will he obtain it through the Father's plan or will he obtain it through Satan's plan? Which, is what, which will he do? Would, would Jesus desire instant glory or the glory through the Father's plan? Now, I want you to notice what he, what he says. What he says in verse 10 is very, very important for us. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Now, notice there even that phrase, Satan. We haven't seen the devil referred to as Satan. Satan literally just means the accuser. 
And he says, Be gone, you accuser, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And for the first time, we see Jesus pull back the cloth and show us this is exactly who this guy is. He is the accuser. This is not the first time he's come up on the scene. This is, this is actually the one. He's referring to the one who has accused humanity for, since the Garden of Eden. Now notice, I want you to notice what Jesus quotes in verse 10. He says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I want you to read. I'll, I'll read with you. It'll be on the screen. Deuteronomy 6, 13 is what he quotes. He says, it is the Lord, Deuteronomy 6, 13 says this, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall, you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. And in this moment, we should, be, we should remember, as Isaiah read this morning, as Isaiah read this morning, from Exodus, the story of the people in the wilderness. What did they do? They, they erected the golden calf. And in it, so Deuteronomy 6 is actually referencing Exodus 32 when it says, and I'll read it for us, Exodus 32. This is when Moses went up the mountain to receive the law. This is, this is what happened. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Does this sound familiar? And this is what Jesus is quoting here. He's quoting, he's remembering back to, you're tempting me in the same way you tempted Israel. You're tempting me in the same way you tempted the people of God. And now notice what the people of God did. They said, what's become of Moses? Have you seen Moses? He's been gone 40 days. Do you know where he's at? Yeah, you know what? We should just make other gods. That's what we should do. And notice what, what Aaron does. Verse, verse 4. Jump down to verse 4, Exodus 32. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned with a graven to, graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Do you notice that? They take the idol, they take the calf, and it's not that they say, Oh, we'll make other gods. What they do is they say, You know the God who took us out of Egypt? Let's see him. I'll show you what he looks like. Because they say, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. But who's it to? The golden calf. And in that instance, we see a very clear picture of what the temptation is here with Jesus. Do the same thing that happened in the wilderness. And what's sad, and the reason why I say as a Christian we must see the world as doomed, is because this is the estate of the entire world, apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, everyone has been in this place. Idolaters that have sought their own glory rather than the glory of God. Their desire to be like the rest of the nation happened in their crafting an animal from gold to represent the Lord to them. And I want you to see the three things they're doomed doomed because of. Here's the first one. They're doomed because of disobedience. They're doomed because of disobedience. And it's exactly what would continue to happen all throughout the life of Israel Israel's theology 
what it became when they entered the land was the end justifies the means. And that's exactly what happens in, in the Exodus story, or in the, in the uh, golden calf situation. The end justifies the mean. Look, we'll worship God. We'll just worship him how we want to. It would have sounded something like this. We're still worshiping the Lord. We're just doing it like the rest of the nations. Or we don't need to worship the Lord as he prescribes. We can do it however we jolly well please. And we can hear again this temptation for Jesus in the wilderness. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said, all these I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Come on, Jesus. It's going to be yours anyways. Just do it. What's it matter? Now, in this moment, we need to pause and we need to see that we are doomed because of destruction, because of disobedience. We, just like Israel, stand in a place of disobedience apart from Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says this, Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. And I want us to pause in this moment and, and reflect on what has happened in the wilderness and recognize that when we try to, to, to do something that the end justifies the means, we, we fall into grotesque, we can fall into grotesque idolatry. Now I want you to see the second thing. We're doomed because of disobedience, but we're also doomed to destruction because of distrusting God. We're doomed because of distrusting God. As one author says, the cause of the sin of the golden calf was Israel's impatience with God, their unwillingness to trust his timing. I want to say that one more time. Their unwillingness to trust his timing. Not only could they not trust God's timing, they began trusting in a man, which was Moses. They were counting on a man to save them. And this too is also sin. I want you to notice again what he says in verse 9. All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Come on, Jesus. You know it. God's going to give you the nations anyways. Just take it now. All you have to do is take the thing that's coming to you, but do it the way I want you to. Or how can you really trust that he'll give you the nations after all? I'm offering you a foolproof plan right here. Just do what I'm asking you to do. And I love what uh, Phil Riken he went on to say. He says, we get impatient for God to heal us or provide for our needs. We get impatient for him to bring spiritual change, either in our own lives or in the lives of others. We get impatient for him to lead us out of the wilderness. But sometimes for our own benefit, God doesn't want to bring us out of the wilderness. And we see again, we are doomed because we distrust God's timing. And in this moment, we see the same temptation. He's, Satan's tempting Jesus. You don't need to trust God's timing. Here it is. Do what I'm asking you to do. Let me give you the third reason why they're doomed. Why we're doomed as humanity. We're doomed because we distort God's purposes. Doomed because of distorting God's purposes. That would be another way to say it. I want you to notice what Aaron's mentality in Exodus was. Aaron's mentality was he knew. He knew so well. He knew full well what he was doing. 
His, his mentality was, I can't beat them. They're, they're, they're just so, they're wanting to do this, so if I can't beat them, I'll just join them. Why not? I'll join them, I'll help them in their endeavor. He knew it was wrong to create the calf in the wilderness and to represent God, but he chose to do what he wanted, what they wanted, even knowing, full knowing, that he was in idolatry. And this is what's offered to Jesus again in verse, 19, when he, verse 9 when he says, all these I'll give you if you just fall down and worship. There's a quicker way, Jesus. Why do you, why do you have to go to the cross? Why do you have to go to the cross? Just come, just come and do what I'm asking you to do. It'll be easier. You can have all the nations. Come on, Jesus. You know the nations will be yours. Just take them in a way that seems best to you. And we're doomed. Not just, not, just, not just a little doomed. We are doomed for the wrath of God is coming against all ungodliness. And that is, we prayed even this morning for the country of Turkey. And every person there that does not know Christ is doomed. And I have a question for us, just even in this moment. Do we care or do we see this as God sees it? That they're doomed. We know that about everyone else, but I want to ask this for a second, even in our own hearts. Do we realize that apart from Christ, we are doomed? Do we realize that apart from Jesus and his sacrificial work, that we ourselves are doomed? And we fall into temptation. Here's how the test, this, a test like Je- that Satan is presenting to Jesus here. Here's how it sounds in everyday language. Let me give you how it sounds. Children, this is what it sounds like for you. Every time we allow our friends to pressure us into doing something we know is wrong, we fall into the sin of Israel again. Every time we know we're not supposed to do what we're doing in the moment, we sin just like Israel. And adults, it's no different for us. When we go to work and we we don't fill out our time cards like we need to, because we know, because we know what we're doing is wrong. And in that moment, We sin just like Israel. Or if you're a new Christian, maybe. Maybe you haven't been a Christian very long. This is what temptation sounds like to you. Just continue to walk in the same way you've always have. It's okay. What's one more time? Or let me give you another one, even for our church as a whole. You know, we pray for a revival. I I pray for revival. Every week we pray for revival. But you know, what happens if revival doesn't come in my lifetime? What happens if it doesn't come in your lifetime? We can try to abandon the faith and seek God's blessing some other way. Or we can trust God's purposes and begin to get impatient with him. And in those things, we follow the path of Israel. But there's hope. I want to lead you to this point to show you that there's the doom that's coming to those who are outside of Christ. Now notice, if you're taking notes there, at the top of your page... I want us to see this. As a Christian, you must see the world as doomed. And I would actually add in there, you must see the world and yourself apart from Christ as doomed. But I need you to also see, as a Christian, you must see the world as doomed and spared. Doomed because because of the coming wrath of God, yet spared for beauty in God's love. The world is doomed because they have all bowed the knee to Satan. The world is doomed because they have all sought the glory of the world over the glory of God. 
The world is doomed because God's wrath is coming against them. But this is not where the story ends for us. The story does not end here. If it did end here, it'd be very, very, very bleak. We are also spared. Notice, now notice what Jesus says in verse 10. I want us to see this again. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Get out of here. Go away, you accuser. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As a Christian, you must see the world as spared. As a Christian, you must see the world as spared. The question is, what are we spared from? Well, in this instance, notice we are spared from Satan's reign. We are spared from Satan's rule and reign and authority that we have once inherited from our father Adam. That those who place their trust in Jesus can confidently say they are no longer a slave to Satan. Listen to how Jesus describes this in another place. Luke chapter 11. This is what he says. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. Okay? Now that strong man that Jesus is referring to in Luke 11 is not him, and it's not a Christian. That strong man is Satan. The strong man who's fully armed guards his own palace. And when we see, G- when we see Satan saying to Jesus here, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, we shouldn't see an actual offer here. We should see a strong man who's fully armed guarding his own palace. And what Jesus says is pretty exemplary. Now, this strong man is not Jesus. He's not me and you. He's actually Satan. But he says in verse 22, But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. And in this moment, in verse 10, we see the strong man enter the room. When the man comes around, he's going to come and he's going to destroy the wicked one. And this is exactly what we see happen. But when the stronger one, then he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away the spoil. Martin Luther, he used to say that um, humanity is kind of like a donkey. (laughs) And in a very Lutheresque way, says, listen to what he says. He says, thus the human will is placed between two like a beast of burden. If God rides it, its will goes where God wills. If Satan rides it, its will goes where Satan wills. And, the, and humanity is like a donkey that Satan is riding. And the difference between a, the, the, the world and the Christian is that God has removed, picked up Satan, ripped him off the donkey of the world, and put him on the donkey, uh, and put, put rode the donkey himself. To be a Christian for Luther meant that Christ has removed Satan from the back of the Christian and now directs his will. So when we hear Jesus say, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We need to hear Jesus binding the strong man. We need to see him, hear him saying, you are not able to anymore. I'm going to take your armor you once had, and I'm going to hold it. And you can't do it anymore. And this is what Jesus promises us even in another place, John 16. He says, and when he comes, now he's referring to the Holy Spirit, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And this is, this is what Jesus is doing here, even in these moments in the wilderness. So that's what he's doing, but how does he do it? I want you to notice how he does it. He does this by first, Christ, had, by, he spared us by despising the world's glory. We are spared by Christ despising the world's glory. Christ had to first look at all of the most beautiful, enduring, enticing things that we have ever experienced. Actually, probably we have never experienced. Christ had to look at the glory of the world that the devil showed him and turn away from it. To actually look at it, to see it for all it is, and say, I don't want that. I, I, I despise that. And this is exactly what he offers to those who follow him. Luke 9, 24-25, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We need to see first and foremost that Jesus is the one who looked at the whole world and said, I'm not going to succumb to that temptation just like every one of my followers have done at one point. So we're spared because Christ first despised the world's glory. We're secondly spared, thirdly spared, because he sought the Father's glory. We're spared by him seeking the Father's glory. We're spared because Christ sought his Father's glory. And he says again, when you hear him say, verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In that moment, we need to hear our brave conqueror binding the strong man, saying you will not persecute them any longer. No longer. Not in the same way. We need to hear our brave champion, champion overcoming those who have failed. Where Israel failed, Jesus has succeeded. Where you and I have failed time and time and time again, Jesus has overcome. Christ sought the glory of God more than the glory of the world could offer him. All of the best and most glorious things of this world could not allure the Son of God away from the glory of God. We see him say in John 17, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus sought the glory of his Father. And in this moment, I want us to pause and I want us to consider something. The way that you and I overcome sin is we have to first see that sin is never, is never what it promises. We must have a view of fighting sin as not that we are missing out on some kind of party. We must always see fighting sin as pursuing a greater glory. We must, we must first see the, the glory that this world has to offer, which there is, which there really is some level of glory that the world offers us. We need to see it as what it is, which is diminished glory, which is a lesser glory, which is a lesser, more insignificant glory. 
and we need to pursue a greater glory. So let me give you an example. When we're tempted to lie, to, to exaggerate, because we want to make ourselves look better, we have to look and see it for what it is and say, I don't need to look better. I don't need to, to, be, to be perceived as I'm better. I need to perceive that God already loves me. I don't need, to, I don't need that. Or any kind of un, unfair dealings with money. We must remember that this money, this money is not what's significant. What's more significant is the treasure that I have in heaven in that way. And this is how we overcome sin. Or take any kind of sexual temptation that has ever come on any of us. We must first see that this glory that's offered in the sexual temptation is lesser. There's a lesser glory to it. And there's a greater glory in seeking God and His will. And now notice what happens in verse 11. Notice what happens. So Jesus says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Notice what happens in verse 11. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Were very literally, were deaconing him. Were serving him in that way. The devil leaves the Lord Jesus and God provides for him in the wilderness in the exact same way that Satan just tempted him toward. Jesus refused to be fed by the devil, but now is providentially fed by angels. Jesus refused to throw himself from the temple to prove God loves him, but now God's love is shown through these servant angels. Jesus refused to bow and worship to Satan to gain his kingdom, but now fulfills, he's going to fulfill the scriptures in these next couple verses in announcing God's kingdom. And in this moment, verse 11 reminds us that God is good. And he reminds us that God is the better benefactor. He provides for us far, far better than we could ever imagine, than we're ever tempted to disbelieve. Now, I want you to notice, so we see what we're spared from, which is Satan's reign and rule. We see what we're, how we're spared. I want to show us what we're spared for. Here's what we're spared from the doom and judgment to come for. Here's the purpose of it. And I would say that we're spared for beauty. We're spared for beauty. Now, I've quoted this from Dane Ortland every time, I think, every sermon we've done these last three series, or these last three messages. And he says this, Sinners are beautified as they behold the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. Let me say it one more time. Sinners, that means me and you, are beautified as we behold the beauty of God in Jesus Christ. Now, by beauty here, what I mean is holiness, okay? We are made holy. We're made separate from the rest of the world as we behold the beauty or the holiness of God in Jesus Christ. God has a purpose in delivering me and you from temptation. And you know what it terminates in? You know what it ends in? Worship. It ends in worship, and it ends in beauty, and it ends in holiness. Let me give you a couple examples. First Peter 4, 12 through 14 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you, 
That's what we saw the first week. As though something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when temptation, trials come your way. But notice what he goes on to say. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He says rejoice. You know why we should rejoice? Because we share in Christ's sufferings. But we share in his sufferings, we overcome in his sufferings because he overcame. If you, and then he goes on. He says, if you, verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We can rejoice when trials come upon us because Christ has overcome. Which is what leads Paul then to write in 1 Corinthians 10. Well, like what I, Isaiah read this morning. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be, able, may be able to endure it. And then he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So we should flee from idolatry. We should, we should run from the dark paganism of this world that Satan is offering to Jesus. But we don't do it in our own strength, brothers and sisters. We do it knowing that Jesus has overcome. As a Christian, you must see the world as doomed and spared, doomed because of the coming wrath, yet spared for beauty in God's love. Brothers and sisters, we, in Christ Jesus, for those who've trusted and believed in Christ, we are spared. We are spared in that way. So I want us to turn our attention to to taking communion together. Uh, This time of communion, as, as we're getting ready to do that, I want to remind you, I want to read a passage of Scripture. I read it two weeks ago, and I want to read it again for you. And it's actually the next verses. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And then he says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? We, we when we're taking communion, we are participating in the blood of Christ. Where he says, he goes on, the, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then he says, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. Brothers and sisters, we are spared. As we take communion, I want us to notice of two things. First, that we're taking the bread and the cup because we're doomed. We, apart from Christ, are doomed to destruction. But the fact that the communion cups are here, the fact that the bread is here, is a reminder that in Jesus Christ we are spared. In Jesus Christ we are spared by trusting in Him. So I want to remind you, before we pass the elements, I want to remind you what Paul warns about. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, the unworthy manner there is not that we're trying to like introspectively see if we've gotten rid of all of our sin. Don't do that. When you think, when you hear, drink the cup of the Lord in a worthy manner, that means we're clinging, let go of your sin and cling to Christ. Cling to Him in that way. That's what makes us worthy. Not, not, not do it. And then he says, 
Verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So this cup, is. if you're not a Christian here today, you need to just simply see that you're still under the doom that's coming for the world. I don't, want, I don't want to be deceptive in any way. I don't want you to drink of this cup and eat of the bread thinking that you're clinging to Christ when you're not. So if you're not a Christian here today, you need to see that there's judgment coming for you. But the hope that the bread and the cup offer here are that, that those who eat, those who trust in Christ will be saved. They will be spared. So I want us to, if the deacons could come forward, we could uh, pass, the, pass the bread and the cup.